You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Top 25 Under 25. I have brought in a special guest, a former colleague, Sam McGilligan from Huck Preps nowadays. Thank you for joining me, Sam. Thank you for having me. And last year it came out on the pod, I think, that uh, you are a Habs fan. I am a Habs fan. Absolutely through and through, 100%. Montreal, been my team forever. Yeah, and um, your your job at McKinsey was OHL, so uh, obviously we're going to talk about Philip Mashar here as well. Uh, yeah, like, actually was, I also watched Mashar a lot in Europe in his draft year, so like I've seen the tra- the transition from his draft year to the OHL, like what's happened. And and are you surprised with with first and foremost that he went as early as he did? I was shocked that he was a first round player. I don't. I great. Like I believed he was a first round player because we in. I was doing a lot of crossover work, so I got to see all the regions and like stack these players up. And I thought, without question, Masar is a first round player, mostly because of his tools, but also just this intelligence to him and this ability to manage space and avoid pressure. He in a lot of ways felt like a miniaturized version or like a less effective version of Brad Lambert, who I just absolutely adored and thought was easily one of the best players in last year's draft altogether. And I was floored to see a Massar go above Lambert and B Massar go in the first at all and see Massar go to Montreal because it was one of those ones where I was sitting there. I was completely focused on one player at that pick 26 i wanted lambert we didn't get him but when we saw when we got masara i was like that's about as good a non-lambert pick as we could have made i was still a fan of it even if i do kind of wish we just took brad you're just saying but, that because he's canadian right <laughs> uh it, that and also because he's incredible but um masar didn't I know fans are a little underwhelmed with that pick, but I really like Philip Nassar. I still think he's I mean, I rated Hudson slightly higher, and obviously Hudson's season was enough to be mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's the second best guy we drafted that year. But Massar is still a really, really good player to take with that pick. There's reasonable picks that you could have made there that ones of players who went, I'd say, 10, 15 spots after. I still think Massar should be rated as high end as some of the other ones. I actually still like him a little bit more than Owen Beck in terms of upside. When we when we think about this season and what happened to Massar, we had the struggle of, of deciding, and I think that Montreal picked him in the first round in order to control his development as they could with, with being a first-round pick. We know he he spoke about wanting to play in, in AHL with, with Laval or going back to Europe, where I know negotiations were quite long gone with with Rögle, who drew who, who got out of the negotiations earlier, and Brynäs in SHL. It didn't come through, and I think that was very valuable for, for Machar because obviously Brynäs was struggling a lot last year, and, and so was Rögle at the start of the season. Brynäs ended up being relegated, so that would have been a tough season to be part of, and obviously as a yeah. junior and a foreign junior, you might have had to face the bench a little bit more. So going to juniors, I think, was the right move. He 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 got a few games with, was it one or two games with, with Laval? But anyway, he went to juniors. Do you think that was the right move to do? Yeah, I do. The Massaro is a type of player who 
he was always going to have a bit of an adjustment going from larger ice to smaller ice anyways. So I think getting it over and done with as fast as possible while keeping the level of competition high enough so that he can still be himself and express himself. And like, he's not going to be struggling to learn the pace of play and the smaller ice all at the same time was absolutely the right call. And like you, I was watching Massar games just before this, as we talked about, like leading into uh, as we started this and it's, the details that make him who he is are still there. There's some unbelievably smart touches and plays in transition and in the defensive zone. And even in all around the offensive zone that you're just like, that was close to really turning into something magnificent there. And you can see that he's still who he was as a player. Like the first round pick that they took is absolutely still there. It's not like a, Oh, we misread the player and now he's over and he's kind of being exposed. It's like, he's not being exposed. He's just learning. And and obviously he's learning the social side of it as well, because he has to yeah, live in a new country, learning to pay the bills, et cetera, et cetera. You can never ever downplay how much of an impact that is to come over at 18 years old into a whole new country in like the, as an NHL draft prospect now, knowing your team, there's a team base or a, a fan base of a team following you, paying attention to what you're doing. You've got feedback from your team. You've got feedback from the team you're playing with. You've got the transition socially, culturally, responsibilities are coming in. There's just so much going on that an 18-year-old, you know, not having a seamless transition makes a lot of sense if a lot of us went over to europe or any like sweden slovakia anywhere for a year to play or do anything but whatever you do as a job yeah yeah, whatever you do as a job like it wouldn't be a seamless transition there would be struggles but we're not videotaped and stacked on elite prospects for people to look at so nobody judges us Indeed, going to school in one as an eighteen-year-old in a foreign country would would be, you know, difficult as well. Even if yeah. most of the courses would probably be available in English one way or another, or you could get books in in it. Uh, so, so I completely get that. Um, you mentioned part of his upside, but if I ask you to describe the upsides that he has and and that he has developed this year, what would you say then? Well, I'd still say that Massar is a guy who I don't see him as like a first line upside guy because those are often they're rare. Like you don't really find those late in the draft past the late first often you unless one or two guys are slipping. And Massar was never going to be that type of guy. But like a second line, like someone you throw in the top six to play with alongside your second line star center or your you know, your first line guy you have playing on the second line, just like the complementary piece to a second line or like the primary driver of a third line is kind of what you would expect from him. And I don't think he's shown anything that says he's not on this path yet. The only thing that I found slightly concerning, but it was a trend that got better as the season went on, was him kind of being out of sync with the rotations a bit in missing chances to get puck touches. He was playing a bit more off puck than I was expecting him to, but I think it was more so just, again, it was like getting the timing and getting the routes under and knowing that you don't have as much space laterally to escape with. And there's a more of a North-South game here and just like making that adjustment, but he made the adjustment or at least he showed improvement towards it as the year went on. And when the puck was on his stick and he was in space, Massar was just dangling people. Like he, he has the skill and the mobility to be a high-end OHL player. He could, I'm not, betting on him to explode in production next year he was never striked me as the type to put up the 
scoring numbers that you'd expect of a player who actually does carry his skill set because he will often forego the riskier, more dangerous play for the safe, but definitely effective play. Like he's the guy who makes scores have a much easier time while still being able to chip in whenever there's a scoring chance that makes sense for him to chip in, but he doesn't force stuff. He's just super smart. He's really smart. And that that has been his strength the whole time. Yeah, everyone like... speaks about his hockey IQ and and how he sees the ice and the game that, and processes. It's, it. it's how it's the vision and how he sees the ice and his sense of incoming pressure is like the biggest one of all. Like how well he can use incoming pressure to solve problems. There are a handful of plays from last year that I still vividly remember watching in his draft season where he would enter a zone or stop up or fa- go on his outside edge to make it seem like he was about to explode by a guy and said he'd slow to a crawl second wave of pressure would come in somewhere else and he'd just thread a pass without looking in between the two of them and it may not be the pass that does anything crazy it just really just gets a puck to a teammate in space but that guy is now entering the slot with a ton more space to work with than he would have if Massard, you know just kept going and chipped it to him or tried to go outside on his edge around the first wave of pressure that came that way. It's like there's a lot of small details in a game of hockey that really matter. And they often plays that lead into dangerous chances often come from plays made that look just like every other one. It sounds almost dumb, but the key to the consistency of these plays being developed, like the dangerous ones and getting into the offensive zone, getting into the slot, getting the puck into the middle. Yes. They all come from like small abilities to just dodge pressure along the perimeter or in transition. And Massar thrives in those situations and really knows how to like take the most out of what he's given and set his teammates up for the best. And that was clear in the OHL footage and just got better and better and better. And when situations came for him to be in dangerous situations, he, executed brilliantly like he doesn't force things but he has vision if there's a slot pass he'll take the slot pass if he has one guy he can beat to get into the slot himself he'll beat him and get into the slot like he's not timid or scared of making these plays he's smart enough to know when's the time and when's not the time which also also as you mentioned then it doesn't give you the highlight real place that trends on twitter or or, yeah. or instagram or or TikTok or whatnot. Um, so so the exposure becomes less and the spread becomes even less explosive or, or or it doesn't spread as much. So you don't see it even if you don't follow that account. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, he's the type of guy who, he, honestly, his plays are flashy. He has flashy escapes and he sidesteps guys beautifully. And you're just like, oh, look at that. Like, look at how well and how smooth he is and how fluid his movements are. But it's in the middle of the neutral zone. And instead of, you know, escaping a guy and cutting through the middle and dangling the pants off of both defenders and splitting them and then going top shelf on the goalie, he'll just, you know, who's the most open teammate with the most direct route to the slot? I'll pass to him and then I'll just support him and pick a route off of where he goes. And it's like, that's boring, but that's pro hockey. That's what pro hockey is. That is the the most junior scorers struggle in pro for a reason because they play like junior scoring and that's what that's like the disconnect between what fans see and what ends up actually working and what scouts see they 
see their flashy hands and the highlight reel plays and they're not realizing some of it's coming from bad defending that shouldn't, you know, maybe they shouldn't even be in that spot to begin with. They that player wouldn't get into that spot because in pro hockey he'd have a, he'd have been pressured better and they'd have a defender glued to him. That's not really happening so as much in the OHL. And it's kind of a good thing that Massar is not overly getting into the habit of like, oh, I can just punish this. I can just punish this because that trains your brain to handle these situations a bit differently. He's still consistently playing like a pro making pro decisions. The game last game I watched was a playoff one against the London Knights who play like the most OHL hockey, Canada style hockey, but really effective. Like they're the London Knights. We all know that they're not a joke of a team whatsoever. Right. He, played their game against them absolutely brilliantly he was pressure he uh, was relentless on the forecheck in this one just constantly putting pressure and making the defenders make quick decisions that they're not you know normally they have more time for and if they messed up in any way he was right there to just complicate their lives even further he forced a couple of offensive zone turnovers that were really smart and really well timed he was back checking effectively and cutting off roots and he was sneaking in when his teammates were in board scrums and just like getting a stick in getting the puck out and just passing it off to someone else he had a couple of like super high he had one actually that was just brilliant it was uh he had like a high skilled a teammate tried to pass him the puck and he kind of whiffed on the execution of the pass so Massar put his stick like around his back and just like backhand one touched it straight to a third his third forward teammate who then led a rush. And it was like, that's unbelievably smart problem solving. Like you needed to find that one touch play. And he set up that angle for it. Like nobody saw that coming. The entire London defense was like, wait, what? Nobody was prepared. And they faster teammate gets that. And it's a controlled entry and maybe even a dangerous shot chance. Like those plays really make a difference. Those are the ones you have to be able to make in the NHL, the tough, like one touch, like, play at the pace the fastest pace possible decision making where do you see his, his game needing to improve because obviously it needs to improve otherwise he wouldn't be in the ohl uh, one part is assertiveness just like being a little more willing to be like no wait i can take this guy and you know dangle him out or deceive him and open up a lane and just he has the means to create more offense and next year is the time where you want to see him implementing it a little bit more. I don't think it means that he's not gone an NHL path, but if he continues to play this more pro style game, it will likely be that he just not just, but he becomes a pro style middle six third line kind of guy. Whereas if a little more assertiveness, getting those, repetitions in and dangerous areas in the offensive zone in the OHL is probably easier than learning to do it in the AHL and is especially easier than doing it in the NHL. So learning it now is probably the key thing. The other part is the obvious. It's just like he, you know, needs to get stronger with strength comes even more speed, but he's already super agile and shifty. So it's not like he needs to improve there shoot the puck more because he's a surprisingly decent shot, or at least he's got decent timing with the shot. But beyond that, it's more so just refine what already works and find that extra bit of assertiveness. Kitchener is obviously one of those OHL strong teams as well. Um, there's no doubt about that. Even you know, Swedes have heard about it and, and, and followed them along for a while. But 
can you see him being traded to a competitor for 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 maybe a deep playoff run during yeah the he's season? the type of if let's say kitchener's not in the best spot and somebody's buying up at the deadline massage the type of player that you want to add he he can absolutely he contributes more now than people think he does i think based on just his scoring numbers he is like a guy who contributes in 200 feet of the ice so you got to think that like any OHL club who is looking to add, like what is our top six missing? We need guys who can just make plays in transition, make plays in defensive zone constantly. They're shifty. They apply pressure. They can evade pressure. They can solve problems. Basically we need problem solvers. Then you go and you get Philip Massar. Yeah. And, and the championship is worth a lot. So you, you're prepared yeah, to like pay it, for it as well. So Kitchener will it's be worth, able to. It's 100% worth doing something yeah. like that. Um. You mentioned it. I think I know the, the answer already. Um, but you see him more as a winger rather than a center because he was drafted more as a center, right? Yeah, I could definitely see him. I think his game honestly does the best. Like his upside is higher at center because he isn't that he is a type of guy who is really good at following up plays. I definitely see him stronger when he's not leading a rush, but instead he's following one and sees just has a little bit more information to make his roots with. Because he can change his direction laterally so quickly. He can, a winger can get into the zone and he can drape one defender with him one way. Second defender is kind of guarding him and de- denying him an entry into the middle. And Massar can see this and see where everyone's sticks are, where their momentum is going, and kind of know the exact route he wants to take rather than just lead the rush. But he's capable of leading the rush as well because he has the speed to just force people onto their back foot, their their weight entirely behind them. And then he can also stop up on a dime. So he makes defenders uncomfortable when they're on, uh, against him on the rush. He He's back check or they're back checking, skating backwards. Sorry, I'm yeah. tired today. <laughs> <laughs> they're skating backwards. Their stick is out. They're looking to force him wide and then he can stop faster than they can stop especially in the ohl like he's getting them to stop super early and he's then being able to cut into the slot by the time that they're even what they've pivoted their weight around he's already into the slot and his head is up like these are the type of plays that are really helpful and that's why he will likely play as a wing because he doesn't right now have the strength to be a defensive center and you could probably just, no matter what, like he could be a center, but in the NHL, the standard is so high. You will likely just have someone else there who can kind of do the same thing. Even if they're a slightly worse skater, they they make up or in other ways. Whereas on the wing, it's much easier for an NHL, NHL coach to see him be like, as long as you can pressure on the forecheck and you can lead a rush, I'm fine with you. He's size, then we have to mention that as well, because he's not the biggest guy in the world, and uh, yeah. and how does that affect his his wing career, if we want to call it that? Um, I mean, it doesn't. So long, there are smaller wingers in the NHL, and I mean, Montreal has seen some of these guys uh, come. <laughs> they, they have seen all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you can make a career as a smaller winger so long as you're you. There's principle. There's like a principle of physics itself. Like when you're smaller, you have a lower center of gravity. So if you're strong in the right areas, lower body strength, especially, and you have that low center of gravity and you have a strong core, like you can get underneath guys and you have leverage. You have phys- like that's just how physics works. Like you have leverage to push up 
if you have the fundamentals to protect the puck and that's in those situations and really like just the skating which Masar already has the skating to like get guys on his back and shift off of them and find those escapes and get pucks out from the boards I mean that's going to be the difference maker because an NHL coach isn't going to you know want to play a winger who can't contribute or ever recover pucks on the forecheck but he doesn't need to be elite elite there like he doesn't need to be like oh Masar if he's not you know winning every battle we don't want him on the forecheck like he his contribution a lot of the time is an open ice he'll be great on the rush he's great in the cycle like those are the spots you want him the spots where physical athleticism isn't as prevalent as intelligence and just understanding space and timing so that alone is going to kind of keep him there. He's really uh, the other thing I guess I should have said a little sooner is like, he's just also really smart at like taking a puck and putting it into like just open space where there's no one there knowing that he or a teammate is likely to win the battle or at least get there on a 50 50, but they have the better body positioning so they can like kind of recover it. Like that's, that is something that he clearly gets. He just needs to refine this a little bit more. Like he can do it against a London Knight. He can do it against the Hamilton Bulldog. He'd probably get mauled right now if he did it against a Boston Bruin. <laughs> but he can figure out, like, he plays that way properly and has the sense for where to put the puck and the timing on everyone's timing to get to it and who's going to be in what body positioning. So it all will, it, I think all of it will end up working out as him as a winger just because of the rush, the ability to help on a four check smart decisions with the puck but the best version of him would come from being developed as a center it's just unlikely to happen if we look at uh, the the rankings we got emil heinemann at 21 yes you 20 Ryder kidney at 19 and philip mesher at 18 these are kind of a plateau um between uh 20.3 to 19.3 uh, and, and they're in the middle of everything else. Um, looking for the next player on the list. That player comes in as 15.6 together with another player, more or less, at 15.5. Uh, so those two keep together. And we're just going to take a quick break and, and see who that next player at number 17 is. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is... Marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two, now streaming only on Disney Plus. At seventeen, we have Arbor Shekai, or Shekout, or Wi-Fi, or whatever we're going to call him. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's a fantastic story. Obviously, um, I love the. The fact that he has fought his way to the uh, NHL. I don't love the fact that he's fighting in the NHL, though. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I rather see him whole and and on the ice than uh, than uh, bleeding and uh, in a sin bin somewhere. But uh, you also have a story with Shekai, so so you make for the perfect guest here, Sam. Yeah, uh, 
the whole thing that went on but uh during the pandemic the storyline that grew with him that he was just working at a costco playing around local hockey and things like that before just jumping into the nhl like right afterwards like we're i'm from the same area as him i shop at that costco i will be there in a couple hours um we are he's definitely someone that like i root for just for that aspect alone like he's from the same area we grew up in the same places like we could i we could never know each other and meet and already know things about each other just from the area like that's how close we live so i am a fan in that regard absolutely uh would also prefer to see him not bleeding and getting punched in the face for a living. Uh, that is not an ideal way for long-term health and longevity. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 unfortunate. Um, it's also the fact that Montreal maybe has tried pl- to play without a sheriff in, in 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 town, and and he fills that role, and it's a way of keeping you up there. Uh, but on the other hand, and now he has probably that reputation that you shouldn't fight with him because he's damn good at it as well. But yeah, but uh, so so it hinders a little bit. But it has been a tough couple of, uh, or, or this season has been tough in some games because you have seen, or I have at least, when when I watched, that is it really worth it to take that fight at that point? It's something for me coming from Europe as well. Fights are banned, so so yeah. For me, it becomes a culture problem, or not a problem, but a culture difference. That 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 you you sort of negotiate with, um, but the the story, the fact that he stuck with the Canadians, it's super impressive because I don't think anyone had that on their ballot last year. Um, but but fantastic. Ah, ah, absolutely. I mean, the story itself was amazing. I definitely didn't expect him to make the team out of the camp. Um, they, It's like you said, they brought him in because they needed an enforcer. They wanted a sheriff in town, someone who, you know, you hit our guys, you mess with our guys, deal with Arbor. And he went through the who's who this year, people he could beat the snot out of, and then he beat the snot out of almost all of them. And he is absolutely a terrifying individual. And the way that the NHL works... He's got a career for he'll be floating in and out of lineups for quite some time. He'll this season alone will have made him quite a bit of money long term just because he'll get one year deals and things like this and he'll be on people's third pairings. When it comes to constructing a playoff caliber NHL defense, I feel like he's one of the two you need like a seventh d who does one of two things either steps up and like elevates your power play in a way that the other defenders don't do even if they can't play on 5v5 or they beat the crap out of everyone so that at least the you know there's a level of composure that remains in the playoff games they don't go too out of hand so jackai is feels like that role he's the seventh d of i will beat the snot out of you and that's okay it's hard to I personally am with you. Like, I'm not the biggest fan of the fighting, especially for a 20 year old dude to be taking punches from guys that big and that strong. I don't, I'm not the biggest fan of it. I don't like playing people specifically for that role, considering the game is hockey and hockey and fight. Hockey and hockey fighting are two different things, and you still need to be able to play hockey for every second you're on the ice at an NHL level. And I think you can argue. Jack guy is not 
currently an NHL caliber defender. If he wasn't an elite fighter, he probably wouldn't be in the show. And I don't think that's an unreasonable point to hold right now. He looks a little lost at times. Can you see him improve on the defensive side of, of, of the game? Yeah, there's it, there's definitely some level of improvement, especially in terms of boxing guys out and just getting you know, blocking shots and throwing hits around and behind the net, boxing guys out. Like, those defensive fundamentals, absolutely. I do have more of a, like, a modernized approach to defending. I don't want to be in a position where my defender is has to box guys out or has to block that shot or has to smash that dude against the boards. That one... Uh, no, you, there are always going to be times where you need to smash a guy against the boards, but you want to just keep the puck away from dangerous areas and not have someone play Sheriff when he's in them, basically. And that's the part of the game where Arbor Jacai right now is not like that. He can get that way, especially if he plays four years in the NHL, like you're going to learn. But right now, it's not a guarantee. There's a lot of missing pieces still. Um, his rush defending is a little questionable right now in terms of positioning. Basically, it's can I lure you into a spot where I can check you into oblivion? If yes, then I will smash. If no, then I'm going to be beaten completely and be removed from the game entirely until you know I'm in the next position to smash somebody. Smashing is shouldn't be the top priority of a defender ever it should just be like oh i'm in a position this works out smash rather than going around and actively setting up hits and moments to assert physical prowess and every hit you set up that you cannot fully execute to recover possession means you are then out of the play and not in the right spot to make the next one. And this was something where I was like watching Montreal on the defensive zone last year. I'm like, man, why are the defenders chasing these hits? What are you guys doing? Montebo saved so many shots that he shouldn't have had to save because of plays like this. When he has the puck on his stick, the first pass vision is there. But I don't think the first pass means as much in the NHL as it used to. Not that it's not important. You obviously need to get, you need defenders to facilitate exits out of the defensive zone. But what you also need is, that's, or I guess I'll say it is, every defender should be expected to make the obvious first pass when it's there. It's no longer a, hey, look, he has a good first pass. Let's place a lot of value in it. It's like every defender on waivers can nail a first pass at this point. So like, you got to be able to offer more. He has a great cannon of a shot. I'm not the biggest fan of the point shot personally. I don't like the point shot. I find it kills a lot of possessions. And if it's but if you're building a power play around it, you're it's predictable. I mean, we all watched Subban and Weber take shot after shot after shot and did nothing but complain about how our power play was so stagnant and dying. And it's because a point shot mentality will always kind of lead to those stagnant static offenses in the power play and five E five it's even worse. And there's even smaller chances of it going in. And there's more of a punishing chance if it, let's say has a wild bounce and it could like, who knows what happens. And then it's back to Jack. I, defending the rush again and it's like okay if can he use a stick properly and box guys out and lure them to the perimeter and keep them there and it's like kind of but no 
and forwards in the NHL are smart. Like they know guys want to hit them. They're not scared of it. So they might be, you know, not a fan of getting hit by Jack guy, but they also know that Jack guy is trying to hit them. So they'll kind of put themselves in the spot. Like, Hey, look, you can hit me now. You can see that he kind of goes like, Oh, I can hit you now. And he like goes right after them. And they're like, Nope, gotcha. And slip right by him or speed up or slow down or just do anything or just straight up pass the puck. Some of them will just take the hit, mm. take the hit to make the play. It's a common thing. Um, so you, you sound a little bit like Roger Runberg in your in your defensive analysis uh, when he <laughs> said, uh, "If they say we played good, we had fifty three percent of Corsi." He asked, "Why don't I have seventy five percent?" You want that player that keeps the puck within the team rather than you know. yeah, like the best defense is having possession. You literally can't be scored on if you have possession, and there, there, it's that's not a justification to say like you know you can't play defense because it doesn't matter if you have the puck eighty percent of the time if your defenders who are in charge of that literally can't stop anything because then the other 20% is just going to be bleeding dangerous chances. Mm -hmm. You're likely to lose, but do, do you see a, as a placeholder right now, or do yes. you see him as a, <laughs> something that you can develop into a full-time defender with Montreal Canadiens? Because the defensive prospect pool is kind of amazing. Yeah. I see him as a placeholder. I see him as a guy who's going to get probably be thrown in on a trade just to like be a little bit of a value tweaker. And then he'll, you know, one year contract here, one year contract here, one year contract here. Maybe he just goes to Laval or a different AHL team for a while. And if he can play like stable top four minutes beyond just the smashy smashy, then in the AHL, then I think he'll actually get like a legitimate third pairing career because the ability to knock people's heads off and just play the most fundamental basic pro hockey without any flavor or seasoning or anything like that just the basic here's the first pass here's the basic play to make here here i'll box this guy out like if you can do that and you'll always be able to find a job in the nhl if you're also a sheriff so i think that's most likely the path he goes on Developing him into more right now, it, it, when it's like you said, we have a lot of prospects defensively. And when you're looking at the field and like everyone that he's in competition with, you already know Caden Gooley has a spot. He will be a part of this top four for a long time. It's very, very likely. It's not a guarantee, but it is very likely Lane Hudson has the other spot in the top four. From there, the third pairing is extremely fluid. If you have to pay extra to keep him because he beats people up well, it's not worth it. If you have to, if you can find someone else who is still physically tough and annoying to play against, but is more reliable in the defensive zone and the aspects that don't involve killing people at full speed, then you probably just take that player and go with it. I don't know what if Jacques ever becomes like a difference maker beyond the way he already is one as an enforcer. There we have it. Um, I'm sure we're going to get uh, Sam McGilligan to come back to the pod every now and then. I know he's of course. A, you know, locked on Canadians. It's a huge fan. Those are a huge fan of you as well. So uh, you find him uh, on Twitter X or whatever we're going to call it next week <laughs> uh, at Sam McGilligan, more or less. Um, I'll yes. be sure to, to 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 link it in the podcast as well. Um, finally, some thoughts uh, about 
new hook because you you mentioned you're a fan. Uh, We're not going to go in, but you think that trade was worth it? Two second round picks. Just leave it at that. (laughs) I was upset at first when we traded the picks, and I would have taken for us rather taken Gavin Brindley and Andrew Crystal. And I think the combined risks or the combined like upside of taking those two players is probably still worth having. But if you're going to trade two picks in that range for a young guy alex newhook's the type of one you want to come in people are getting a little too nuts about the low production with colorado considering he's was drafted in 2019 and is still developing and getting used to the league he will be a great player that is an unbelievable contract signed like that could be just another top six forward for four years at less than three mil who's under 25 that's like Holy, that could be one of the best uh, deals we see Kent Hughes make. There you have it. Thank you so much, Sam. Really, really great. Thank to you have for you having again. me. And- You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.